Kala Falava and welcome to the Global Bus Figure Success Podcast. I'm Andrew Fawali, your host. Every week I'll be chatting with successful Pacific people from across the globe, unpacking their stories and more importantly, picking out insights, lessons and golden nuggets you can use to live your best life too. Right, well, welcome back to the Global Bus Figure Success Podcast. Today we've got a special guest all the way from Houston, Texas, uh, making it a truly global podcast, uh, Max Moala. Um, Max's proudest accomplishment is being husband and father of three children. He studied accounting while playing football and winning a national championship in rugby at the University of Utah. Uh, Forgoing the accounting route, though, he went into sales and management where he was a top producer, taking his office from 2 million to 10 million revenue in less than four years. After five years working in corporate, he took the entrepreneur leap, quit his job in 2022. Founded Uppy Investments, sold his home and moved to Texas to pursue his dream of achieving time and financial freedom through real estate investing. Within the first year, he built a $9 million real estate portfolio, co-founded a national wholesale real estate company that did near half a million revenue in year one and is the host of the Clues of Success podcast. So I just want to welcome you, Max. Thanks for joining me at 8pm in Houston uh, and taking time out um, from your wife and your three children uh, to have this chat. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, anything for our people. So appreciate you having, having me on the yes. And so let's just, uh, let's see what we can do and how we can add value to our people and help, you know, kind of raise the tide. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, obviously of Tongan heritage, how did your family get to from, you know, Tonga all the way over to the mainland of the States? <laughs> uh, you know, like, I think like majority of those who came back in, Back when they first started coming here, uh, a lot of boat rides uh, to like Fiji and New Zealand, and then they either and then they kind of flew, made their way through Hawaii, and then uh, my dad's family ended up in California, Hawthorne Inglewood area, and stayed there for a little bit. And then my my mom's family, they came because they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and they went to Utah, you know, where the headquarters at, and so. That's how my mom had ended up in Utah. My dad and them had, uh, dad's family ended up in, in California. And then the way that my parents met was my, my father got a, a full ride football scholarship at the University of Utah. My mom was also going to school at the University of Utah and they kind of met through some mutual friends. And maybe like a year later, uh, my parents got married and that's how I happened. That, and then, <laughs> then I came. So awesome, man. So do you guys get back to Tonga much? You know, obviously we're more proximate to the islands than. Uh, you are in the states, but interested to know people from the states. Do you come back to Tonga much? You know, you know, my my family go. My family does go. Extended family, like cousins, aunts, uncles. They they go back every year with a group of doctors. Uh, the, that group is called Amanaki Fo, and they go back there. It's more um, for like um, charitable work, as far as like health to just um, help build that people. I unfortunately I haven't gone back, man, since I was like eight years old. And then kind of just growing up school, playing football, sports, and then getting married. I have not gone back, but I, but I want to. Cool. So, I so need what, to, actually. What's it like being Tongan in the States? Because in, in New Zealand, man, there's a massive population of uh, Pacific people there. Obviously, you know, Auckland is considered the most populous Pacific city in the world. Then here in Australia, we're about 1.3%. So there's a big drop in numbers because Australia is just bigger. So we can really feel it when we come here, there's less brown people around, but we still gravitate towards each other. What is it like uh, where you grew up? I guess it's hard to speak for the whole of the States, but what about Utah? So what's funny is there's actually more Tongans outside of Tonga than inside of Tonga. There are just 
there's a lot of there's a huge communities in all these different pocket pockets and cities and states. You know, we we just kind of all just kind of flock and kind of migrate to each other. And then I, you know, I'm very close with my my first cousins, and you know, we're we're almost just like we're almost like brothers or sisters. And so my aunts are almost like my second my second parents. Uh, and so, man, what is it like? I had a blessed childhood life. Um, it was a lot of fun just having my having my family. And then, I, of course, I have friends that are also the same same culture. So I loved it. You know, I have no complaints. I wouldn't want to wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. So your parents went to the University of Utah, and I see that you <clears throat> went to the same university. You got into accounting. Why did you come out of school and choose accounting? <laughs> so, man, that, that's funny. So my my mom's side of the family is very entrepreneurial, awesome. and I knew. I wanted to start some type of business. So do business. I, I, I saw the lifestyle that they live and I wanted that. Right. Uh, and so I, I went to accounting because I wanted to have some basic understanding of, of financials, of finances in business. And so I knew that I would one day have a business of my own. I wasn't sure which business, but I, I knew that if I had the foundation of business, which is the finance part, then I would be okay. And so that's kind of why I went the accounting route. After that, after school was done, I kind of figured out, it was like, what other skill do I need to learn to have a, a successful and profitable business? And I was like, well, after understanding the foundation, I need to learn how to sell. So I didn't go I didn't go to corporate accounting route. I went corporate and I learned how to sell. And I went kind of a sales. I started off as a recruiter and, um, and then I got moved up. I did really well my first few months there as a recruiter. And I just kind of kept this like 100% commission mindset because that was my first job out of college was a sales job. It was door to door or business to business. And I remember I was in Arizona. And if you don't know Arizona, it could get about 100 degrees oh, Fahrenheit. Yeah. I don't know what that is, Celsius. I just seen all those uh, cactus, uh, cacti. You know, people can cook. Uh, people can, if you leave a leave a frying pan outside, you can cook your egg outside without using any stove or fire. That's it gets really hot. And I was I was pretty heavy at that time because I just finished football, and then uh, I kept the same eating habits without working out. So I blew up really fast. I, I was about two hundred ninety pounds. And I was I was wearing a full on suit and coat, and I was walking business to business, selling. And I remember I was holding this plastic folder, and it was so hot; it was 120 de- degrees that my fingers were burning from holding the plastic folder. So I was like switching it from finger to finger. And so I was like, "Man, um, I stuck it out because I, I knew I wanted to learn the skill of selling because I think that's probably the most underrated skill that anybody can learn is how to sell, and it's a real skill." And so I, after I learned that, I figured it out. Then I, I was like, there's got to be something better. And uh, I found recruiting. And it was like recruiting for a staffing agency and where, where I got to increase my skill set as, as selling. And then I, I used that same kind of mindset, 100% commission. And I, and I took off. In about six months, I became the top recruiter in the office. And they, uh, they gave me a promotion. I kind of ran the branch. And um, was, I became like a sales a manager there. And so, I mean, that's, that was kind of my story kind of coming up after after college and why I chose accounting. Long so, answer for you. No, no, it's a good answer because I'll come back to the um, the skill and the science of selling because I think that's an important skill to have. Probably should teach it more in school. But when did you, you know, you talked about your mother's family being entrepreneurial. When did you know, because you said you came out to do accounting to understand finances. When did you know you were going to have a business? And what what, <laughs> what kind of molded you for that? You know, I, I think I had a different type of childhood growing up. 
I mean, so there's, you know, there's personal development. There's these type of, these inroads. I think the bigger ones are like Tony Robbins, um, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn. There's all these, all these individuals that just uh, personal development where you're like, you're talking positive affirmations. My mom uh, and my, my dad would listen to those all the time. And so when I would be driving with my mother on the road, she would either be listening to those tapes. So I would have to listen to them. Or if she wasn't listening to them, she was always reading books. And so when she was driving, she would have me read it to her so she can listen to it while we were driving. And so I already knew and I got to see like we were very fortunate. My parents had had successful businesses. I got to see that lifestyle and I knew that's what I wanted. And so I saw I saw other family members who had nine to five jobs and I saw their lifestyle. And and when we would go on like family vacations and reunions and sometimes they weren't there because they had to work. And, you know, I'm like, hey, where's Uncle so-and-so or where's, uh, you know, this cousin? And I say, oh, you know, they have to work. They couldn't get time off. I automatically it was like, oh, I don't want that. Like, I want to be in charge of my own time. Uh, you know, I want to be my own boss. And I get to decide when I could take trips, when I can get take time off. And so that was kind of the, the, the beginning makings of me wanting to start my own business. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and so but that's that's kind of where cool. it came from. And it just as long as I can remember, I knew I, I always wanted to have my own business. So can, and not work for somebody else. Can you give us a little explanation around what your mom and dad's businesses were? Yeah, at the time, at the time they had a foster agency. So they worked with the they worked with the state uh, where these kids either they were either troubled youth or their parents couldn't handle them or some type of some type of problem where they were no longer able to stay inside their home. The state would take them away and then my parents had a foster agency where they would take these kids and they would find homes and place their kids inside the different homes as foster kids. Man. Um, so they, they did that. Yeah, they did that. And then they actually went into real estate after that. You know, my mom also like she sold a lot of makeup, having these like makeup parties all over all over the state of Utah, you know, and she was she was a top producer with that company. And then uh, she they, they decided to go into real estate. They kind of shut down their business and went into real estate. And that was that was my introduction to real estate. Wow, man, we've got the same business. We deal with uh, young people who are wards of the state, and we get their houses and we provide, you know, youth work care and stuff like that. So that's interesting. But right, like it, it just sounds like you had the role model, you had the environment, you had the context, and and then it's created this kind of clear vision for you. You've, you you know that you want to own your time, you know that you want to be the boss, and then you've gone out and and sold. Let's talk about selling, man. What did you learn on those sweltering days out there in uh, Arizona? You know, trying to trying to stay cool and trying to sell. You know, uh, you know I, I, because of sports and, and you know, kind of growing up, and like I said, I listened to this personal development stuff. I was pretty confident, you know. And then when I got this first sales job, and I went there, and I, man, I went like I went an entire week not making a single sale. And man, that was a slap in the face. And this and is hundred percent commission. You're not getting a base. It was all one hundred percent commission. It's all on me. And man, I can't. I can't tell you. See, at this time, I was married. Uh, my wife and I, we were married. We were on our own. So it was like you eat what you kill. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, I was kind of stressy because I was like, man, like, are we going to pay the bills this year? And it was it was very humbling for me to to kind of realize like. You're not as good as you think you are, you know? So I was like, man. So I, 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 what I did is I went and I found the best salesman in the office. And I said, and I just kind of reached out and asked for help. I'm like, listen, I'm struggling. I don't know what's wrong, like what, where I need to improve. 
but can I follow you and can I shadow you and kind of see what you do differently? She was a beast. I mean, she would get like almost three to four sales a day. You know, she didn't take a lunch break until she made a sale that day. And so we went out and I kind of followed her. I kind of listened to how she, how she pitched, what she did. And I picked it up really quick. And so um, that afternoon I was like, okay, I think I have it. I went off and I made one, I made two sales that afternoon after meeting with her before lunch. And then I, and then I was kind of just kind of rolled on, you know, where I was making two, three, five sales a single day. So. So can I just paint the picture there? So you're a hundred percent commission. You've got no base rate. It's all on you. Like you say, what you kill is what you eat. And you're not making sales initially. You're obviously got a wife at home. We've got this innate thing that we've got to be the provider of the family as males, uh-huh. as fathers, and as husbands. And it's not happening for you. <clears throat> so you're right in this pressure environment. At any point, did you think, nah, I just got to stop this and go get a get a job? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I think I think because of that personal development, positive type of mindset, being very optimistic, I, I knew what everything that everything that was worth it was going to take time and take some sacrifice and i knew that the, these skills were were needed you know and and just because just because it didn't come easy um it doesn't mean that like you know i just i just i i knew that i had to learn it i was willing to play the long game uh for for a better purpose and a bigger cause just so i can learn you know and sometimes you do have to take a step back to take 10 steps forward or, or do forward. And so that was, that was kind of my way. I was like, all right, I got to slow down. I got to figure this out because I knew, I knew how important it would be in the long run. So what did you learn from this yeah, lady? But it, it actually never, it never crossed my, like, I think, I think, you know, when, when you do like, man, it's like, man, I have to provide. So it wasn't go get another job. It was like, I need to get better, bet I need to get better and I need to do this fast. So what did you learn from the lady that uh, upped your ability to sell? It, it was her confidence. It was the way that she pitched. It was it was the questions. And really, she didn't take, like, it was almost like non-negotiable. Um, you can almost say it was really pushy, but she just, she kind of asked questions, but she didn't take the first no, the second no, the third no off the bat and just, like, turn around and walk out the door. You know, when someone said no, she had, she had rebuttals for every single objection, you know, and then she just, like, okay, like, she just, like, just get them to buy one small thing. Because once you can get them to say yes immediately, then you can kind of upsell and sell for it and get even more. Uh, but, you know, she was very skillful. She was very good, but she just like she was very intentional with with her purpose of walking in that door, you know, because she was a single, um, you know, she was and she was very good. And so I was like, oh, OK, this is what you're doing. You know, and I, once I figured it out, I think women can be a little bit more pushier because there's something about being, I don't know, like we're, people are just a little bit more open to them. So. I, t- I had to figure that out and just kind of make my own little twist and flavor to it. And so once I did, I was like, um, I think Polynesians were, were able to build relationships and build rapport very, fairly quickly. So then it's the strategy of selling because you just talked about rebuttals. But for those who don't know, like on the process to make a sale, you should really know what kind of rebuttals are going to come at you or why mm-hmm. people are going to say no and then have a way to counter that and then lead them back into the path of the sale. So did you yeah. have this plan? It's kind of like, play, you know, you played rugby at Utah. You have to have a game plan. So did you have this game plan around all the uh, possibilities in terms of rebuttals that you might come up with, how you were going to twist them back into the path and stuff like that? Yeah. And that, that was really great about that company that I worked with. They had, I, honestly, I think they probably had some of the best sales training that I could have asked for because they, they got you really prepared for selling 
without even thinking that because we played a lot of games, but the games were like competition game like it was practicing pitching. There were all the say, okay, what's the biggest objections that you're going to have, or what's the what's going to be the main reason why people don't buy from you? And we had all the list of all the different reasons, and then we were like, okay, what are going to be those those things, those rebuttals, or how are we going to overcome all of these objections? And there was so many different skills, and I didn't realize it that there was like so many different sales tactics or psychology or things that are just like figuring out like how it worked. And so we can kind of figure out, okay, what type of personality are we speaking to and how do we sell or pitch this personality? And you can figure out their personality by the types of questions that you're asking by their demeanor, by just all of these different things. And it, it got very interesting. And for me, it became like, it became like a game and I'm like, man, I need to figure out this game because I need to win this game. You know, and I, I love winning. You know, from playing from sports, you just naturally kind of almost build this competitive, uh, this competitive mindset, and so that's kind of how I kind of took it. So that is that the role we took your office from two to ten mil. Yeah. So when I when I had started, I had started as a recruiter, and so each recruiter had their own salesperson. So there was a guy who would go out there and he'd go get sales, and his his job was to go get some orders or some recs or some requisitions things that we could feel. And my job was to just go find these individuals that can go and fill all the different roles that he was, that he was going to, that he got from his yeah. sales job. And so um, there was a time where I didn't feel like my sales guy that I was, I was feeding um, guys for was, was working hard enough. So I started, I started like every time I would talk to an individual and I see a company that we didn't work with, I would start getting their phone numbers and then I would call those people myself and set up appointments for my sales guy. So I'm like, hey, listen, here's another meeting. You need to go to this meeting and go get some more recs for us. Like, you need to go more. So, so I was not only recruiting for him, but I was also setting up appointments for him to go to go meet with and get more clients for us. And then um, I, I just did a lot of things where I was like, I, and then there were so many people that were applying to our jobs that didn't fit the scope of work or they didn't have the right skill set. Like, you know, our, the our staffing agency was very very niche mm. it was like low voltage electrical you know and i had never heard about this stuff yeah but we we were looking for these guys who can perform these type of jobs and i was getting guys that um were like pizza hut drivers you know they were pizza delivery drivers i'm like they have zero skill and i kept deleting their resume and then it clicked you know i was like man like we could teach these guys like yeah. i was like why don't we start a training program and teach them how to just do the basic skills of what this is like pulling cable in, in these offices. You just have all this cable, all the low voltage that needs to be pulled. So I'm like, why don't we teach these guys how to pull cable and we can teach them how to, how, you know, how to have site safety and we can give them some basic tools, but we can equip them because they're, they're going to be very inexpensive, very cheap. Mm. And then our Delta, what we're going to be charging these companies, there's going to be a, a, a pretty good Delta. So we can make a pretty good profit from these guys. And so, I started bringing in every single person. Like if they, if you applied to my job, I brought you in for an interview and I put you into a training class. And like we, that, yeah, like within a month I had 20 trainees and I was like, we put them all to work, you know? Cause it was, it was in our, our pitch was like, Hey, these guys are young. They're moldable. They're trainable. They're not going to have any bad habits. And he's a pizza delivery driver. So he has a reliable vehicle, you know? And that was a very easy sale. It's like, Oh, this guy's pretty cheap. So we'll take him. So, um, man, and I, I just built it off all these training guys and, and nobody else had figured that out. And I'm like, so I actually, yeah, we started a training program and 
I was just kind of always thinking outside the box and figuring out ways that I can help generate more revenue for, for our office. And then uh, that's and, how it kind of happened when I, I got uh, promoted. And that's the essence of entrepreneur. Eh? It's, um, it's that you see a problem, you go and make the solution. Like you were at this part of the funnel, you were, you were trying to get recruit people. Uh, you saw that there was a bit of a, um, a bottleneck on the other side in terms of placement of people and getting uh, other kind of clients in. And then you saw that, oh, man, actually the numbers are there. We just need to upskill them and get them to a level to go. And that's how you've uh, five, five times – uh, the top line of that of that company. So what happened after that? Did you go to another one or was that when you, you know, because you're in real estate now. So what was after that sales job? Uh, I actually had gone to another uh, staffing company. And the biggest reason why I, I left that other staffing company was one, they gave like a, a pretty a pretty good um, pay. And that one was like a salary. The biggest reason was just a step away from my that previous company. I was there for about five years and I just, I needed to get away. It was it was it wasn't kind of a culture that I wanted to be a part of. I could see that it was changing me. It was very very stressful and very high demand, and so that was actually during COVID twenty twenty, where our, our CEO he had cut, literally he had cut half of the staff. He fired basically if you there was like a fifty percent, and if you were if you were fifty percent and less as far as performance and far as producing results, you were automatically fired. And, and luckily at the time I was, you know, I was like around two or three, I was like the top two or three in the company. So, you know, my, my position was safe, but it's still, I just didn't, it didn't sit well with me. And I just hated having that stress of that fear of just like, man, this guy's a loose cannon. I could lose my job at any time, which, which was um, kind of a big reason of why I always want to start my own company. So I, I went to another company. I, did, I loved it there. And I think it was a great, it was a great transition for me to see because the CEO of that company was like, I could not have asked for a better uh, example of a leader that could have a great culture, great positive, um, uh, like culture. They were all about collaboration over competition. She just gave so much and she was like so helpful. I got to see the the complete opposite of, of what a successful leader could do in that same position without like yelling at people and threatening to fire them and doing all this stuff. Because that that other company was like all top producers, very very. It was like it was like the step up of where I was at previously, where everyone was like amazing at what their job was. And so, uh, I went there, and I think it was a good transition for me just to kind of see. I think everything happens for a reason, right? So I was able to kind of see what what that type of leader can do with with a different type of mindset and how she motivated people and how she led people to produce results without without all that fear mongering. And so um, I was there for about a, I was there for exactly one year. And then I made the, I made the entrepreneurial leap, started my own company, Oppie Investments. And so it's a real estate investment firm. We buy, we buy multifamily, what you got looking for hotels as well. And so that was kind of the step. Cool. So tell us about Oppie. So this is your foray then into entrepreneurship. This is your company. Um, just before that, you know the company where you had a really good CEO was that? But is that the thing that took you to Texas, or did you go to Texas on the back? Are there tax breaks there for entrepreneurs, or what's? Why did you end up in Houston? <laughs> so why why I made to Texas? I I had a lot more connections in the real estate space. I wanted to learn apartments, buying apartments. Um, I didn't know anyone who everything is all about single family residential, just these residential homes, mm. but. See what I didn't say tell you guys is, uh, and back in 2008 in the recession, when my parents were in real estate, 
they had lost everything, like mm. everything. So all of the stuff that they had built, their portfolio, all the money that they were making from real estate, lost it all. And so I was able to see that lifestyle of when it was good in real estate, but then I was able to see the bad when they lost everything. And the what I took from it is, one, I wanted to do real estate, but two, I didn't want to do single-family residential. Or I would have some residential, but I didn't want that to be a prior uh, to be the main part of my portfolio. And so I saw apartments as a way to still provide somebody that people are always going to need. People are still going to always need a place to live, but it's going to be a lot safer than residential. So and you know instead of one house and one tenant, you have a hundred unit complex. You know you lose one, you still have 99 other people that are still living there. They have ninety nine other streams of revenue that are still coming in. So that's why I went to multifamily. It was a really good friend. He was a mission companion of mine. He was in. He was already investing in multifamily or in apartments. And so um, I moved here to Texas to just be kind of just throw myself in the fire. Um, I think I have a. It's very difficult for me to kind of just focus on multiple things at one time. Obviously, um, we had some money saved. We sold we sold one of our homes. So we had this margin of cash just in case things didn't work out to get some other deals. And then I also started a co, a co-owned another another company that could help bring some additional income in while I was looking for a deal because it's a very, very long game. Multifamily investing, it's very long to find a deal, to close on the deal. And then you have to like turn around and try to fix it and, and increase rents to start getting some actual real cash flow. From that too, so that's kind of why I moved to Texas. So, can we just understand this multi-family? So, you're t- saying you're you're, build, you're getting out like pretty much a property developer. You're getting blocks of units uh, where many families can live. That that requires quite a bit of capital investment up front, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what we do, we call it syndications. Yeah. Um, and so, those who aren't aware of syndication, basically, it's a pool of funds. So, here in the states, when you're buying a home. Um, usually you'll have to put down on, on, a, on a traditional investment loan or a traditional loan, you're going to have to put down 20 to 25% yeah. of the purchase price and then the bank will fund the other 75%. Well, it's the same thing when you're buying a multifamily investment. Um, you still have to put down 20, 25% and then you have, the bank will fund the other, lend the other 75%. In syndications is what I'll pull a bunch of investors these are people that are, you know, they have additional cash and maybe want all the benefits of real estate without having to be very active in real estate. So we'll partner, I'll find the deals, we'll partner, they'll just invest a portion of the money and I'll have 10 to 20 investors, they'll all throw in some money and then we buy it together and we kind of bring that pool together to put down the 25% to own it. And so, um, and then we'll kind of split up the portions. Obviously, a majority of the equity and the cash flow will go to them as the investors since they, they put up the, the capital. And then, you know, I'll get a little bit of portions from like turning up the business, managing the units, all these things. And so, um, and then we kind of split it that way. What's the value of uh, an average multifamily block? It all depends on a, on a number of things. One, um, Multifamily, the way that it's valued, it's it valued like business. And the way that they value businesses or multifamily is, or any other commercial real estate is based on the amount of money on the NOI or the revenue or the, or the cash flow that it's generating. Um, and so everything is, is based off cash flow. And so based on that, you, there's like an equity or there's like a multiple 
that it's all worth. That's how it's valued. That's why I like commercial real estate is because in regular residential, there's appreciation, right? So throughout time, everything, appreciation, your home can go up in value. Sometimes it'll go down, but not very likely. It's not, I don't think it's going to really happen again. But in commercial real estate, you, there's something called forced appreciation where you can value add, you can add value where you can you can take a look at a property and you can see that there's some mismanagement in operations. You can help cut some expenses. So it, run, it takes you a lot less money to operate it. And then you can increase the rent or you can look for other ways to just generate some revenue. Maybe you can charge pet fees. You can charge parking lot spaces. There's a rent utility bill back system where you can now split the cost for utility bills. So you're increasing all these different ways to increase revenue. So then your cash flow is just skyrocketing or it's going a lot more. And when you can do that, you can increase the your your value of that property a whole lot more. Sounds like um, a business to business acquisition, kind of the same where you have to yeah, you go into yeah. it, you go and do a, a turnaround or you do an uplift. So yep. that requires a vast amount of skills. You know, I know that in acquisitions and mergers, we're looking at the people, we're looking at the processes, and then we're looking at the product. If you go into one of these and you look at those three things, that requires that really vast skill set, knowing what the processes are. There's a lot of inefficiencies in the process. Maybe the people who are doing it aren't being efficient. Man, how did you get that scope of knowledge to go in and do a turnaround like that? Yeah. That, so the way that I had done my first deal was, uh, I, so I, obviously you can kind of see, and it sounds pretty complicated buying these multifamily investments because there's a, there's a lot of due diligence. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that moving parts and pieces. I, I had joined the coaching program just because one, I needed to learn it a lot faster. So you can pay for it. You can pay for it in two ways. You can pay for it with money or you can pay for it with time. And I didn't have the time, but I had some money. So I, I paid for a coaching program. Um, obviously I had done due diligence, due diligence and I looked at multiple different coaching programs within the space. And I, I went with the one that felt best for me. And then within that coaching program, there were other students, there were some coaches in there and they had the experience. And so I didn't want to risk losing investors money. So I went with someone who already had experience, who had owned thousands of units, who had sold thousands of units and um, was able to prove they had a great track record. And so I kind of showed myself that I can bring value to them. And so there was an opportunity they brought up the, a deal. They said they needed some money to help kind of a, an equity partner. So I was able to just help raise some capital for that deal. I told them, I was like, listen, I know if if you if you want my help, I, I only want ask for one thing. Can I be on the asset management team? Because I need to learn how to manage the asset. And I feel like that's a very, very important skill. Um, and so they said, yeah, if you can help, you know, help bring some equity, some some cash to this, help bring some money for this deal, you can have a spot in that asset management team. And we can, uh, I can kind of give you a little bit more training. And so that's kind of how I learned it was kind of just learning it from them, like being, being hands on. And I'm still learning it today. I still don't know everything today, but I'm, I'm a lot more versed today than I was. Sheesh. It was only 18 months ago when I, when right, I started this myself. So, so I've got a couple of questions, man. Um, the, you know, you say it kind of flippantly. I had to go get investors, bro. That's not easy. eh? How did, no, how did you find no. them and how did you yeah. sell them across? You know, friends and family, that was how we were able to raise the money. And talk about raising money, my very first time raising money, like I said, I had a mission companion um, who was already in multifamily investing. And it's the only time that he's actually, well, no, he's, but this time he was kind of in a bind and he asked me, he was like, hey, Max, I need $1.7 million. 
can you help me? And I said, yeah, I got this. You know, the same mindset I had when I started, when I started my sales job. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I can do this, you know? And uh, I had access to people who had capital. And so I was like, yeah, I could do this. And so um, I made a couple phone calls and, you know, set up some meetings <laughs> and turns out I didn't raise a single penny, like not a single dollar. And I was like, that was a big slap in the face. And so I then realized that there was a lot more that went into just raising capital than just asking for money. So the next time when I did raise this capital for this deal, I remembered that whole experience. And so I came a lot more correct. Um, I came more prepared as far as understanding the deal, understanding what the returns are. So if they were to invest X amount, this is what your your return investment would be. Um, and then I leveraged the experience. So I had a whole like pitch deck ready this yeah. time. Last time it was just like, talking to each other like hey you want to invest in seven million dollars they go okay like does this property even exist you know like am i just going to give it to you and you're going to run off you know i'm like mm. come on man you know me forever like you know i'm good for it you know yeah. <laughs> so but i was like sorry man we're gonna have to pass uh but this this next time like i had pictures of the property i did a whole market research of why it was going to be a good investment you know, there's a whole employee diversity. So there's all these different industries that, you know, so if, if anyone industry got hit, they're still going to be taken care of, you know, like, like, oh, here's what the current rents are. Here's what the other rents are around the neighborhoods costs. And so we can force Pump. appreciate with like increasing the rents, you know? And so like, here's, here's the, here's the team that we're working with. They're going to manage the asset. Here's his experience. And so it was very hard for someone to say no, like, oh man, that's a good deal. You've done a lot of homework. You've done your due diligence, you know? it just made them feel a lot more at ease when they're letting go of their hard-earned money. I love that, man. I'm interested in mergers and acquisitions and uh, I'm trying to get into masterclasses and stuff like that, but I just love the the uplift and the turnaround and the potential that you can do uh, if you get it right. And then especially in the group model, we just bolt on different things that value add to the group. So uh, yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. Tell me about Uppy Investments. Uh, you know, how did you name it? What is your goal for it? Obviously you've uh, done pretty good turnover in your first uh you know, it's it's quite early in the journey. So let us know about Uppy. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I had all these different names, you know, I think trying to figure out a name for your company is always can be a little tr- a tricky, but I, I named it Uppy Investments because Uppy just means home in Tongan. And I wanted something that my kids would just understand like, hey, we're, we're proud of our, our culture. We're proud of who we are as Tongans. We're not going to be afraid and name it, you know, some, some other name. Yeah. There, there probably could be other marketable more names, but we wanted something that we would be proud of, that we could be happy with, that could be um, kind of who we are, you know. And so it's just Oppie Investments. Awesome. <laughs> it just, you know, kind of a, a means home in Tonga. And that's really how we came up with it. What's your vision? What's your vision for it? Just continue to keep growing. I'm adding value to find good investments, you know, safe investments. There's always going to be some type of risk with any type of investment, right? But real estate's always a long game. And I think there, and, and it's, you have this like solid asset, tangible asset that you can invest it in versus like stocks. You know, primarily you look at multifamily uh, over a long period of time, it's one of the safest and best investments. And so like our, our goal, you know, in 10 years, we want to, you know, maybe we'll, I mean, get over like a billion dollars and, you know, have that uh, billion dollar portfolio, you know, and just want to just be able to just provide good, safe homes for families and just like good, safe, investments for people you know these people who have all this extra cash and help them you get all the benefits um those who aren't aren't familiar with real estate there's there's a there's a here the benefits of it are um one it's depreciable um here in the states we have to pay taxes right 
But if you can do depreciation, that's a way of like almost showing that you can count less. We take that as a, as a paper loss. So you don't have to pay as much taxes. If you're familiar, uh, you know, those who are talk about like Donald Trump, he never showed his tax returns. Well, because he was a real estate guy, this guy's making billions of dollars and he's probably paying less taxes than someone who's making a hundred thousand dollars. You know, mm. um, that's, that's how crazy it can be because of depreciation. It's appreciable, which means the value is going to appreciate and go and go up. It, the taxes are deferrable, which means you can defer taxes so you can sell a property and the taxes Typically, you have to pay capital gains tax. Yeah, but there's some different um, rules or tax laws where you can defer having to pay those taxes, so you can defer it by buying another property, so you don't have to pay any taxes on these gains, and you can just buy another property. And so th- those are probably the biggest benefits of of real estate. And so when I partner with these people, they're investing in all these things. They're getting the depreciation. They're getting the appreciation. They're getting the def- um, the deferred tax or the tax write-offs without having to be. It's very very passive. It's all hands off for them. Um, they get they'll get the monthly newsletters, the updates on what the property is doing. They'll get pictures, um, and then you know they always have my cell phone, so they can always call me anytime or text me to ask any questions and concerns. And so um, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of the vision. Cool, man. So, it's, yeah, one billion, you got to name it and you got to claim it and you got to go after it. This seems like a win 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 because investors are getting returns. Uh, you're making business out of it. Uh, families are, uh, are getting homes as well. So, it feels a little bit altruistic in that uh, everyone's getting wins and, um, yeah. and yeah. outcomes that they're after. Of course, you know, the, there, there is some tougher parts of it, you know, because sometimes there's families that they're not paying, they're not, they're not paying their rent. And so we'll help them try to get some like assistance from the government. Uh, but then sometimes they're just not paying because then, you know, they're just, unfortunately, there's not everyone who's very honest. And so we do have to make those, those tough decisions to like evict families because your family's not eating or sometimes it's not going to be my family that's eating. And so, you know, I mean, as far as our investors and those things, so uh, that's kind of the toughest part is is trying to figure out like at what point do we pull the trigger try to evict a family um it's never fun or, or even firing people too it's it's never fun but it's something that has to be done and as far as a business owner you know you have to make those tough decisions cool so we've got a really good picture of your journey to success obviously you were uh, raised around people who were really entrepreneurial uh, they did well they they learned some lessons as well through global kind of financial crisis but then you've come out and you've just been really inquisitive and curious and and not ashamed to ask for help uh, i think that's that's uh, a thing that's going through you know you ask that lady you've gone and asked your mission companion you've moved to to houston you also do the clues of success podcast so i just want to kind of finish on this what are the clues of success that have been le- left behind in your trail i know you're still young and i know you're still early on the yeah piece. yeah you you're know gonna make it to a billion the- but what's what's the clues yeah <laughs> you know it, it's it's the willingness and the you know being open to failure and being and being okay with failure. I mean, I showed you like there was many times where I failed, I completely failed, you know, where I didn't make a single sale or I didn't raise a single dollar. But I didn't let those failures determine who I was as a person. I knew I was better than that. I just needed to work on some skills, right? And if you look at it in life, the only way to succeed is you have to fail forward. There's John C. Maxwell. He says if a person truly wants to move ahead, get ahead in life, and go after what they want. They need to learn how to fail forward, fail fast, fail often, and fail forward. So these successful people that you see who had the life or the things that you want, the only reason why is because they were willing to go out there and fail, and they failed a lot. They just have a lot more failures. They took a lot more no's. They they were able to just take these things and not let it stop them 
from going after what they really wanted. And they had a bigger, probably bigger reason why or purpose of why they were going after these things that made a, that made it non-negotiable that they weren't going to stop when it got hard because there's going to be setbacks. Life is going to get hard, right? And so, but if you're willing to push past those things, you can have everything you want in life. I think Zig Ziglar had said it. Um, you can have everything you want in life if you can help enough people get what they want. And so, um, I, we do have. I do like the the, the mindset of being a go giver. But so, as far as my um, clues of my success is one: don't be afraid to fail. Failure is part of the journey of success. But then just show up every single day. Um, it's hard being your own boss because sometimes you can be a crappy boss, and you can be, and that makes you a crappy employee. So I show up like it is a job. I have the same 100% commission. I have a family that I need to take care of and feed. I got investors who are who are counting on me to get them a return. And so, you know, and then, you know, it's just, it's just showing up to work every single day. It's being consistent and just doing what you say you're going to do. Awesome, man. I'll leave it there. Cause you got a family to go back to, but I really appreciate uh, your story. I appreciate the fact that, you know, you've told a story where you like the pressure cooker, you walk towards the pressure and you know that you're going to come out as a winner. Uh, I can see the success and the journey that's going to uh, unfold ahead because you've done those things like fail fast, fail often and fail forward. And so just wish you all the best. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on this show. And I'll put in the show notes uh, info about the Clues of Success podcast, Upper Investments, and your LinkedIn and your socials and stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here to kind of share the story. And hopefully this uh, resonates with someone out there to go out there and just go after the life that you want. Um, you don't need you don't need permission from anybody. You know, we're all sons and daughters of God and we're meant for greatness. Um, and so it's already in you. We have this innate ability and just believe in yourself and go do it and go get it. Well, there you have it. What a great chat. Max seems pretty laid back for a dude who's pulled off some massive moves from knowing nothing about selling and falling flat with zero outcomes to humbling himself and asking for help from those who were doing better than him. He's become a top seller and he's then jumped out of his job, moving his whole family, selling his house just to get amongst the multifamily investing, property development and management. Aloha Pito Max, props to you, your wife, your parents, everyone who's contributed to making you the successful man you are. I'm sure that you'll have more successes, more failures, and just more fun. I've been blessed by your story. That's us for this week. If you can please do us a favor, like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to them and follow us on all socials, LinkedIn, Insta, TikTok, and Facebook. Our handle is Manawise Group, all one word. That'll be much appreciated. Cool. Have a great week and God bless you all.